0: So we've been working through uh, the book of Acts and uh, going uh, line by line, section by section through the book of Acts this morning, we will be uh, beginning in Acts chapter three, uh, reading verses one through 10 here in, in just a few moments. And I just want to remind you of where we are in this uh, series. Uh, the book of Acts really is the history of the early church, and if you're, if you're starting in the book of Acts, but you haven't ever really read the book of Luke or gotten into the book of Luke, I'd encourage you actually to start back with the gospel of Luke and kind of read it as, as two volumes together, sort of begin at Luke 1 and sort of read through Luke and then go right into the book of Acts. The same writer, uh, Luke the physician, uh, wrote both of these, and he's trying to give a history of uh, the church up through that time. And so that's, that's where we are here in the book of Acts. We're at the early history uh, of the church. And in chapter one, Jesus commanded the disciples uh, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel after they had waited in Jerusalem and received uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. That happened on the day of Pentecost. And from the day of Pentecost, forward up to where we are now, which is probably only a few days uh, in in this story, uh, the disciples had been going out and sharing the gospel and encouraging people in the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, what I think is important for us to know is that Judaism and Christianity were not seen as two separate uh, kind of religious traditions. They're actually seen as one and the same, and Christianity was, or a belief in Jesus as the Messiah at this point, was really simply seen as a sect of Judaism or sort of a, a, an offshoot or a, or a separate belief, but even the disciples still continued uh, to go into uh, the temple, And so Peter and John are doing that here in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read uh, from the word of the Lord while we pick it up right here as Peter and John are going into uh, the temple. Verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. So this would have been about 3 o'clock or so in the afternoon. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened." Heavenly Father, once again, we invite your Holy Spirit here and pray your blessings upon your word. And I pray, Lord, by your gracious hand, God, that you would move right now by the power of the Spirit, help us to perceive and understand your word and to apply it to our life that we would live it out faithfully before you. And so we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit just now, Lord. We pray that you would be with us by the Spirit's gracious power. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. may be seated. I want to share with you uh, a few points uh, out of this this passage, which I'll share with you now, and then we'll go back uh, over them uh, each point by point. First, we'll speak about how the beggar was born this way how he thought a certain way, acted a certain way, and then finally how he was changed. Born this way, thinking this way, acting this way, and then changed. The beggar had been stuck outside the gate since birth. Incidentally, that's the title of this message, stuck outside the gate. The Bible says he'd been lame since his birth and that he was being uh, carried along at this point in order to be set at the beautiful gate in order to beg, al- beg alms of the people who were entering in. There's some dispute as to which gate was actually the beautiful gate, but most people believe that it is the gate of the temple. Uh, you have to think of the temple as, as, a, as a large complex, and so there was sort of this outer Court, and then a more inner court, and then even beyond that, uh, kind of the the holy of holies place. So it's kind of these three sort of areas. The outer court would have been the court of uh, the Gentiles, and from the court of the Gentiles, there was this gate that went in to where uh, the male Jews could go in and actually offer sacrifice and worship the Lord on the 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 inner side of the temple complex. What many believe this beautiful gate was is a, is a gate that was paid for by a very wealthy man. Uh, there is historical evidence of it, uh, writings about it, of the gate at this time. And many po- people believe that it was that gate. And because this man was uh, lame from his mother's birth, he was not able to actually enter in to what he otherwise could have gone into, into the inner part of, uh, the temple to offer sacrifice. So from his birth, he was laid outside the gate that all those who could go in, all those who could worship, all those who could go in and offer sacrifice would pass by. And the Jewish people, uh, felt as though offering of alms or giving to the poor or those sort of things granted them favor with the Lord. And so what you would find at the beautiful gate would have been people who were laid there that was kind of as far as they could go and the place where probably or they would hope the people with the most compassion and desire to give would walk by. And so this is why he was laid at this particular gate not allowed to enter into the main area and begging for him most likely would have been his only means of sustenance. It would have been the only way in which he could buy food or the things which he would have needed. And so he was here at the uh, outside of the gate gathering alms from people who were doing it in order for themselves to incur favor with the Lord. Acts four and twenty-two tells us that he had actually, uh, he was actually aged over forty years. So he was over forty years old. He had probably been sitting there day after day after day. In fact, what's interesting is because he was of that age, uh, beyond forty years old. And because within this same time frame, Jesus would have been crucified on the cross, and people believe that Jesus was about 33 years old when he was crucified. He actually probably was around or could have been around the temple complex from the time when Jesus was presented at his birth through the crucifixion. And in fact, Jesus probably passed through that beautiful gate multiple times. And that beggar was probably there as Jesus maybe would have passed by him. He probably saw in Matthew 21, when Jesus entered to cleanse the temple, Jesus comes in and he sees the money changers that are there taking advantage of people, and he drives them out. And the Bible says in Matthew 21, after that, that Jesus, in essence, welcomed in the lame and the blind and healed them. And so this lame man may have been acquainted, heard of, experienced, uh, saw what was going on, but was not one of the ones who experienced the power of God at that time. In fact, what's interesting is that probably part of what got the religious leaders so angry with the Lord and moved them towards their desire to kill him was that Jesus had allowed the lame and the blind to come in to the inner court in order to heal them. So the question comes to us, and we wonder when we think about these historical evidences, have you ever wondered if you were just simply born a certain way. Your challenges, maybe your bad temper, maybe your particular lust, maybe some problem that you continually butt your head against, maybe you were just born this way. Maybe it's just something that is just a fact of life that you have to get Used to. And you believe that maybe if you could just manage this particular issue, this particular habit, this particular person, this particular financial challenge, this particular medical problem, that in your life things would get better. Maybe if just this one thing, just like the beggar thought, if only a rich man might come by and give me enough money that I wouldn't have to sit here at the beautiful gate any longer. If just someone with enough would come and bless me, God, maybe I would not have to sit here at this time and be ridiculed, be looked down upon, and be prevented from going into what otherwise rightfully would be mine. You know, the born-this-way Uh, slogan is one that we see popping up time and time again in our culture. People have become comfortable with their struggles. They have become comfortable with certain habits, and yet we have an essential duty as the church to be able to preach the gospel and share the gospel in such a way that people don't necessarily receive what they're asking for, but they receive what they need. Because there is an enemy that wants you to believe that there are some things that Jesus just can't or just won't change. That you, in your life, in your circumstances, in your situation, just have to get comfortable stuck outside the gate. You, in your situation, just have to be comfortable being laid beside the gate, maybe being able to get a passing glance from time to time of what is going on in people who are joyful and happy and have it together, and you long for that, but you've come to think, I'm just born this way, I'm stuck here on the outside of the gate. Maybe you think that it's not something that I'm doing, but it's something that has been done to me someone back then who has treated me this way. Maybe it wells up in you anger or bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness. Maybe you feel like your certain limitations in this life keep you from the good opportunities of the Lord. But if we buy into this notion that there are just simply certain things about our character, our attitudes, our actions, our desires that simply won't changed, then what we have to realize is that those negative things have altered our way of thinking. What had happened to the beggar through no thought of his own that he was born lame, it had created in him a frame of reference, a frame in which he looked out and saw the world, and he was asking for what he thought he needed. His frame of reference was outside the gate. He had no real concept of what it meant to be inside the gate. Day after day, he saw people who were whole. Can you imagine, think in this culture, it's not like our culture where there are certain uh, like wheelchairs or we can go to the doctor and they can help us with certain uh, uh, physical limitations. Think about the beggar who did not have access to any of that laid beside the gate and day after day and week after week and year after year, seeing other people who have opportunity and wondering, why am I here? Why am I being laid here? God, why was I born lame from my mother's birth? Why did this have to happen to me? Day after day, he was asking whole people to help him. Day after day, he was asking whole people to help him provide for his needs. Day after day, he heard the testimony of people who were on the inside, walking out, talking about the sacrifice that they had made. Maybe talking about the beauty of the inner court. Maybe talking about the beauty of the priestly vestments. Maybe talking about what was going on on the inside. And all he had ever known was what he had heard by what others had seen, what they had sacrificed. He had no concept of what was on the inside. The beggar's thinking and begging was only in response to his perceived need, which for him was more money to get things that he needed. And what I want to remind you of today, what you are longing after, the thing that you think will fix all your problems may not be the thing that will fix all your problems. In fact, what I've often found in this life is the things that we think will fix all our problems are probably something that we look at that's the, the, the lowest thing that will fix our problems. See, what happened in this particular circumstance is the beggar was just looking through his frame of reference because he was thinking a certain way. He did not have a concept. Remember, he did not have an understanding of what it meant to walk. Several times when you read through just these 10 verses, look at how many times it says, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked, because he had never done that before. He had never had that opportunity before. His frame of reference was, I know I can't walk, so give me what I need, more money, in order to help me buy food, or buy clothing, or buy a mat, or buy the things that I need in order to sustain myself. He was shooting low. Oftentimes in our need, we shoot low. Oftentimes in our desire for things, desire for something to fix us, desire for something to make it right, we shoot low because that's all we've ever known. God calls us to raise up our gaze a bit. God calls us to look to him. God calls us to look to his word where there is power, where there is deliverance, where there is healing, where there is an opportunity to completely change our frame of reference. But because of his thinking, he acted out in a certain way, Acts. 3, 2, and 3 says, the beggar was there to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when Peter and John, when Peter, uh, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Now, have you ever known of someone who is simply known for acting or being a certain way to have some kind of character flaw or, or some kind of issue or something that you've just kind of known, and we just kind of look at that person, you think, well, that's just the way they are. And then at one point, they do their, you know, they act in the way that they've always acted in front of someone who calls them out. And you hear people say about that experience, they picked the wrong one to say that to, They picked the wrong one to do that in front of. Everybody knew that's what they did or that's what they said. But at some point, they picked the wrong one to do that in front of. That's the issue here with this beggar and Peter and John. The beggar's actions followed his belief about who he was and how he was going to relate to all the people that were passing by it impacted not just him, but it impacted them as well, those who were able to give. I'll help the beggar and feel good about myself. I'll give the beggar what he's asking for. This past Friday, uh, I was up in uh, downtown Baltimore. My dad was having a medical procedure, and my mom and my brother and I were there with him uh, for that procedure. And in the hospital, uh, University of Maryland Medical Center, only one person is allowed to actually go, uh, actually into the hospital and, and back with my dad. So my mom went, which left my brother and I, uh, out, outside the, uh, hospital and kind of waiting for the results. They were, they did allow us to go in to hear uh, the results of the procedure, but, um, we were outside. And so we found a little, uh, looking for a little breakfast restaurant, someplace uh, to eat that we could get to uh, by foot. And if you have ever met my brother and I, we're kind of opposite personalities. He's the fun one that my kids like hanging out with. Uh, He gets them the fun stuff and does the fun stuff. Uh, uh, Someone I've shared this with some of you. Someone who met both of us one time said, "Robert's brother is Joe Cool, and Robert is Mr. Rogers." (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a compliment or not. (laughs) But uh, my brother's a compassionate one of us, and so we're we're walking. You know, it's just kind of a city block, and there's this kind of hole in the wall little. Uh, restaurant. We're kind of walking down the street, and there's some steps here. And on the other side of the steps is a is a homeless guy, a homeless guy. And when I'm even driving into Baltimore City, I'm thinking, have there been riots here? What's been going on? I'm thinking about safety. You know, my, we're walking by, and this guy's sitting there. And uh, my we're, we're walking, and my brother stops, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. And he's like, looks at the guy and I'm thinking, I want to get in the restaurant, and he gives the guy 20 bucks. And I thought, okay, let's go. And so the guy spoke to my brother, and he he said, oh, thank you so much. He says, someone had given me 20 bucks yesterday, and I was holding it and fell asleep, and when I woke up, it was gone. And um, we started to walk in the restaurant. My brother turned around and looks back and he says, have you had anything to eat this morning? And the guy, you could tell he had just woken up. So he hadn't had anything at that point. And uh, he said, we'll get you something to eat. And so we, he asked him what he wanted. We go in the restaurant. My brother gets him two of what he wanted, two drinks. And then at the, we got a cup of coffee and there was sugar packets and all that. My brother was like putting that in the bag (laughs) (laughs) uh, to help the guy. He goes out, Gives in the bag. In the meantime, I'm, I'm in the restaurant, uh, in the bathroom, and the Lord is like, your brother's sharing with him compassion. Why are you not sharing with him Jesus? And I think here we're talking about going in our neighborhoods and sharing the gospel in these areas, and uh, my brother's showing compassion and kindness to this guy. I'm ready to, wanting to eat and get along with my day and not be bothered. The Lord convicts my heart. And so we go out, and we have the opportunity to share Jesus. And you know what's interesting? Having these encounters, I've had them before. Uh, Again, my brother is the much more compassionate one of the two of us in in situations like this. And uh, going out, I I kneeled down beside the guy, and I asked him his name, and he said, well, my name is, and and I actually don't recall his name, but he said, everybody calls me nice. He was Probably what I come to find out, he said, I have no reason to disbelieve him. He said, I'm 17 years old. My mom died a few years ago. I've been living on the street because I was in the foster care system. And he said, I got out of the foster care system. And he said, I said, can't you get to a shelter? He said, I can't go to a shelter because I'm 17. And uh, they won't accept me unless I'm 18. And if I go as I'm 17, they put me back in the foster care system. And so he was wearing clothes that looked like he had pulled them out of the dumpster of the medical center next door because they were scrubs with blood on them. And I thought, this is what is reality for so many people. And we can feed him today, and we can help him today, and that was good, and that was necessary, and that was needful. But if we don't share Jesus with him, we've not given him what he needed. We've not given him what he could really experience. And I don't know if in that moment, if he truly accepted the Lord or not, or if there was a change in his heart, or maybe there was a change in his heart before because he had said he knew about Jesus and knew the Lord. I don't know. But what I do know is that that was an opportunity that I was just close to missing because I was focused on something else. I'll help the beggar and then feel good about myself. I'll give the beggar what he's asking for. Incidentally, this guy didn't ask for anything. He didn't ask for a dime, didn't ask for food, didn't ask for anything. Had my brother not turned and offered, I probably would have kept on going. We have to realize that we have to witness and be a witness in our day, that realizes that what so many are asking for, beggar on the street or not, person in the pew, that what so many people are asking for and seeking is not what they need. There must be a people that prays, that discerns times and seasons. There must be a gospel witness that says what we have been giving is not addressing the problem in our culture. We must pray as a church for a spirit-empowered response to the true needs of our world, which is preaching Christ crucified for the sins of all people. The beggar in this gospel account acted in a certain way until someone came by who had the spiritual discernment to give him what he needed instead of what he asked for. And when they gave him what he needed, he was forever changed. Forever changed. The latter part of our text, when Peter and John saw him, the scripture says they fixed, Peter fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Think of his circumstance that he was even unwilling to look at the passerby, but had his head face down with something out begging, not even able to look at the people who might give him something. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright, and he began to what? Walk. And he entered into the temple with them, what? Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John did not even possess what the beggar was asking for. I do not possess silver and gold, Peter said. But they had something greater than silver and gold. Imagine if in their pockets they were walking along and there was a pouch of silver and gold. Imagine how easy it would have been for Peter and John to throw a coin in the cup or a coin in the hat or something along and keep on passing by. Imagine how easy it would have been that Friday in Baltimore to just give a sandwich and to pass on by, to just give a drink and to pass on by. But there comes an understanding when you and I meet people, we have to have the discernment to know that there is a need that may be greater than what they are asking for. In fact, there may come a time in our life where what people are asking for, we don't even have in our pocket. See, the church has been a wealthy church, at least the Western church. And at times we've been able to throw money at problems. We've been able to throw money at things and help things when what we need to do is pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to give us discernment for the true needs of people in our culture. Peter and John had something greater than silver and gold. They had the power of the Spirit and the witness of Jesus. You know what's interesting about this story is that, in all likelihood, during Jesus' life, he probably did pass by this beggar. He probably did at some point, particularly in that three years of ministry. When he was healing people and touching people and their lives were changed, at some point he probably encountered that beggar or the beggar laid eyes on him or Jesus saw him or something was going on. And I wondered, why was this guy not healed? Why was this guy not healed in the event in Matthew chapter 21? Why was this guy not healed at another time when Jesus passed by? And the only conclusion that I can come to is that it wasn't the season yet. It wasn't the time just yet. Jesus was going to heal him. Peter and John are clear about that. We didn't do this. It's this same Jesus whom you crucified that has Touch this man. But that wasn't the particular season. Maybe for some reason, the beggar had to be there just a little longer. Maybe for some reason, Peter and John, they had to understand what it meant to live under the power of the Spirit. And this is the first miraculous healing that Jesus is going to do through them to confirm the authority of their teaching. And I would say to you today that some of you may have been praying and praying and praying for God to deliver you, God to provide for you, God to change you, God to transform you, and you've seen other people walking through to their blessings. You've seen other people passing by. You've seen other people doing things that you want to do, that you desire to do. And maybe you've even asked God, why am I still in this circumstance when so-and-so has received their healing? Why am I still in this circumstance when so-and-so has received their financial miracle? Why am I over here working so hard just trying to make ends meet? And -and so-and-so is over here. It doesn't seem like they have to work and they have everything that they need. Why is everything that I put my hand to, Lord, to try to do something with you, why is it fought against? Why am I having to live and I struggle to break this particular habit and I see so-and-so, they got deliverance and I'm not delivering? What I would say to you is the same Spirit of Jesus that touched the blind and the lame in Matthew 21 is the same spirit that healed this beggar in Acts chapter 3. And sometimes we may see people ahead of us and what our response ought to be is to worship the Lord because when you see people ahead of you in their blessing, when you see people ahead of you in their opportunities, it's not a time for you to get jealous, but it's a time for you to step out in hope to say that what God has done for them, God can also do for me. What God God has done in someone else. They're testifying about it. That gives me hope to understand that God is not a respecter of persons. And at the right time, under God's grace and in his sovereignty, he may deliver me too. He may heal me too. He may provide for me too. God is able to do it in his time. And what your response must be It's God, I will wait for your presence in my life and I will trust you with the appointed time and I will not fail to step forward in walking after you and discerning the plan that you have for me. What happens, I believe, in these times is what the beggar said that morning when Peter and John were passing by. Don't take me to the gate today. I'm sick of being at the gate. I'm just going to lay here at home, and I'll perish. I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of being at the gate. I'm tired of people walking by, throwing scorn at me. I'm tired of people thinking I'm less than what I ought to be. Don't take me to the gate anymore. Don't put me by the gate and put me through that ridicule anymore. because he's looking at what's going on at everyone else. But here is where our faith walk comes. You and I have to take today, what today is in our life, the circumstances of today, and you and I have to take a step Forward and realize that I am stepping forward in the grace of God. And as I trust myself to the Lord, God will work out things for my good and His glory. And if today requires me to lay at the gate one more time, God, I'll do it for your glory. And if tomorrow requires me to lay at the gate one more time, God, I will do it for your glory. What I have often seen in the Christian walk is I will see people come to the altar, people pray, try to pray at through. And maybe God doesn't deliver right then. And they come back to next time and they come back to next time. And then months later, you see them off somewhere. They quit coming. They quit giving it to the Lord. They quit laying it before his feet. They quit coming to the gate and they miss the opportunities that God has for them. Just imagine if this man saw what was going on in Matthew 21 when Jesus cleansed the temple and healed the lame and the blind. And he saw that and said, that guy did all that. But then they crucified him. The opportunity for my blessing has gone. They killed the one man who could have healed me. They put him on the cross. Now I'm doomed to stay here for the rest of my life. And I would venture to say that some of you here this morning, some of us here this morning may think, it is a desire that we believe the Lord's put in our heart and the opportunity and the means for it to come about is all but dead. There's no way it can come to pass. The means for it to come to pass is simply gone. It's not there anymore. There's no more opportunity. But the grace is that we find in Acts chapter 3, what Peter and John say in that moment, just because Jesus died on the cross didn't mean that Jesus quit healing, Jesus quit doing miracles, Jesus quit doing things on people's behalf to restore them and to make them whole. What it meant was that Jesus was not limited by our earthly body, but now he was working through the power of his spirit, working through his disciples. Now just think, if you and I get on the same page, if you and I are in unity and one accord like those in the upper room, if you and I are willing to take our time and to pray and to seek the Lord, and we're truly willing to humble ourselves and be a disciple of Jesus like Jesus has called us to be, we're truly intent on getting into the word, we're truly intent on praying and asking God to help us, We're not just looking at the perceived needs or the felt needs of people, but we're trying to be discerning and truly help people at the point of their need. If you and I get serious about that and the Spirit is working through you and the Spirit's working through you and you and you and you and you, imagine this. This is what I believe Jesus meant when he said, Greater things shall you see. Because his power is able to work through you and me to be a blessing to others and imagine the joy of the beggar when Peter and John walked by and by the spirit of Christ, he was healed. And what is the first thing that he does? He leaps inside the gate. He leaps inside and he sees probably what his eyes had never laid on before. He leaps inside and he sees what is going on on the inside and he can't stay silent. He's walking around, he's leaping, he's praising God for what God had done. The first time he was able to see people making sacrifices unto the Lord, he was able to be in the inner sight. Into the inner gate. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you have bought into a way of thinking where what you are seeking the Lord for may only give you momentary satisfaction. It only helps you to get through the next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few days. Maybe you feel as though you're the one that's always on the outside, seeing everyone else receive their blessings, seeing everyone else living this seemingly abundant life in Christ, and you're on the outside wondering, why not me? Why not now? And I would say, trust in the Lord that He is working all things together for your good and his glory. Keep repeating that to yourself in the moment of your need. God is working for my good. This is working within me, a greater weight of glory. God is working in me for my good and his glory. Though this beggar had been lame for 40 years, though he had been laid at the beautiful gate for a long period of time, though he had been uh, the scorn of those who had often walked by on this day. On this day in Acts chapter 3, there was no one in that temple whose worship was more vibrant. There was no one in that temple whose worship was more full of wonder, more full of amazement, more full of power than this guy who was entering in, walking and leaping and praising God. And maybe that's exactly what's going on in your life. That your desire for the Lord becomes greater than your desire for solace in your circumstances. And as your desire for the Lord becomes greater than simply getting through your circumstances, when God rushes in and delivers you, and he will deliver you, he will deliver you. When God rushes in and delivers you, your worship to him. No one will be able to match it. It will be vibrant. It will be gracious. It will be Christ-exalting because God is working for your good and his glory. Stand with me as we pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace which you have for us, Lord. And God, I know by your merciful hand that there are many of us here today who feel like the lame beggar We feel like we're on the outside looking in. And we wonder when will deliverance come? When will opportunity come? God, I believe your word. I I read your word. I I read the pages of scripture. I, I believe your word, what it says, God, but it just doesn't happen for me. I just don't see the change in me. And I would say to you, if you're that person this morning, sometimes that, that thorn in the flesh is the push that makes us realize that God's grace for us is sufficient in every way that he is working within us an eternal weight of glory. What we know in this circumstance is that if Jesus began healing at the beginning of his ministry, and within ministering about three years, this beggar watched others go before him, he probably heard the stories of this man that touched someone and he was raised from the dead. This man who spoke and demons were cast out. This man who overturned all these tables in the temple on, that, on the inside. I heard about it. I could even listen. And hear what was going on in there. And I heard people were out here one time begging with me, and now they're able to walk. They're able to see. They're not lame anymore. Their arms are whole. But I'm still out here, Lord. I'm still out here on the outside of the beautiful gate. I want to get into the beautiful court. I want to get into the beautiful temple. I want to step into the beautiful Holy of Holies and be before your altar, O oh Lord. I want to behold your beautiful face, O oh God. I want to be in your beautiful presence, O oh Lord. But, God, I feel stuck outside here. I long for all these things. And the Lord speaks to us in his kind and gracious voice to persevere, to continue to seek him, that in our weakness, he is made strong. In our weakness, Christ is exalted. And our struggles as we persevere. As we press through Jesus is exalted because he is carrying us he is leading us he is guiding us And so I pray this morning O oh Lord for the comfort of your spirit I pray Lord for those who are even now walking through the valley of the shadow of death Lord God that they are in a circumstance that many would say is the dark night of the soul, the darkest period of their life. As they think and as they pray, oh God, I pray you would remind them of the rest of Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, not because someone will hand me some money, not because a doctor will figure out what is wrong with me, not because I'm actually out of that dark time, not because I'm actually delivered from it. But God, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I'm in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for this reason, that in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. In the valley of the shadow of death, I can still rejoice in your presence. In the valley of the shadow of death, I can still recognize that you are near me, that you are working out for my good and your glory, that you are helping me, that you are going to see me through, that there is a time when I look through the valley and I lift my eyes beyond the mountains and I see the glimmer of the sunrise and I remember your word that says the weeping may endure for the night joy comes in the morning and I see the sun rising over the hills, oh Lord, I pray oh God that you would give this people hope today hope today oh Lord help us